Well, I've entitled my text uh, this morning, The Six Water Pots, and my text is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. The Gospel of John can be divided into a series of sevens. You have the seven I am's of Christ, you have the seven pre-resurrection miracles of Christ, and the seven major public discourses of Christ. The seven miracles recorded by John are also known as signs. Now, everybody say it's sign. Now, what is a sign? A sign can either be a miracle or a healing, but it is distinctively set apart in that the purpose of each sign is to reveal a certain truth. For example, I had some difficulty fitting into my pants this morning, so it is a sign that I need to lose some weight and get back into shape. By the way, round is also a shape. (laughs) Or if I tell you a joke and you laugh, It is a sign that you like my jokes and I should tell you more of the jokes. From the lukewarm response here in this auditorium, it's also a sign that you don't like it and I should get back to the message. (laughs) Another way of looking at signs is that of the exit sign above the doors here because the exit sign points you to something beyond the door. It could be a direction to your destination or in the case of a fire emergency, it's a way of escape that will save your life. But the thing is this, that you don't stop and marvel at the sign. Oh, what a beautiful signage, the fonts that were used were so good. A sign is not your destination. But with every sign, you're one step closer to your destination because it is not the end, but a means to the end. So we don't camp around the signs and the miracles, but understand what God is trying to tell us through the signs as we journey onward with Him. And so it is with the seven miracles that were recorded, or the seven signs in the Gospel of John. We have Jesus turns water into wine. We have Jesus heals the noble man's son. We have Jesus who heals the paralytic man at Bethesda. We have Jesus feeding the 5,000. We have Jesus walking on water and Jesus healing the man born blind and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now we are going to look into the first of the seven signs where Jesus turned water into wine. Into wine. You can either read this story plainly and be wowed by the miracle, or read it prophetically as a sign and look forward to what is to come. So let me unpack for you, starting from verse 1 of John chapter 2. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. I want to highlight a few keywords here for us. The first is that the significance of the third day. Now in Jewish tradition, the third day was chosen as the wedding day because it is on the third day of creation that God said it was good twice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 10 and verse 11. Thus the Jews considered the day twice blessed. But also in the Old Testament, we find this pattern of third day activities of God where He accomplishes something big and significant for His people. Some of them are redemptive, some of them are revelatory. And the third day also speaks of of Jesus' resurrection, which is the bedrock of Christianity, of moving from death to resurrection life, where he was resurrected after, being, after having spending three days in the heart of the earth. So when we read in John chapter 2 about the third day, or on the third day, our ears should perk up because God is going to do something big on this third day at a wedding. And of course, he did, as we'll find out later. 
The second thing is that they ran out of wine. Now, unlike today where you have a wedding and the celebration on the same day, and then it's over, the wedding couple head on to their honeymoon and the rest of us as guests, we go back to our homes. In the first century Jewish culture, this wedding feast would usually last three to seven days. Therefore, it is important to ensure that you have enough wine to last the entire duration of the wedding celebration. And wine was essential at any Jewish feast. A wedding without wine back then is like having a birthday party without a birthday cake. Now, every birthday boy and girl has to have a birthday cake. So when they ran out of wine at the marriage feast, it was a major crisis. They probably miscalculated the amount of wine needed to host all the guests at the feast. So culturally, running out of wine would make the family appear stingy, inhospitable, unwilling to spend money to take care of all their guests. And being hospitable, as we know, being hospitable, as we know, is a cornerstone cultural value in the Middle East. So you can imagine the huge embarrassment the family is going to face. So Houston, we have a problem. But I also realize that every miracle begins with a problem. If you have a problem today, you are the perfect candidate for a miracle in your life. Don't give up, hang in there, God will come true for you. Then Jesus' mother came and pressed him to do something about the situation, hoping that perhaps he will solve the problem by performing a miracle. And Jesus replied to her in verse 4, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, that's always the best advice you can receive. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, you do it. But let's talk about a few details in these two verses, verses 4 and 5. Number one, I want to establish this, that Jesus wasn't rude to his mother. The English translation of this verse wasn't the best. It seems that to suggest that Jesus was rude to his mother, calling her woman. However, the original Greek brings out the meaning much better, that Jesus was gentle with her, using the term of courtesy that's commonly referred to to address to a married lady. So it could be translated like this. Dear lady, this has nothing to do with me. Why should I get myself involved in this? So Jesus wasn't being disrespectful to his mother. The second thing was this, that Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. By this, Jesus was saying that the miracle he was about to perform was a sign of his death. It will start the prophetic time clock of him going to the cross and to be crucified. He was very conscious of the fact that he had to die at a specific time and not before that. And then we also notice a third thing, which is there's a shift in authority. Because you'll probably notice that in this story, Mary was referred to as the mother of Jesus or his mother, but not by her name, Mary. I believe this was intentional and for a reason. It seemed that Mary tried to exert her maternal authority over Jesus to use his supernatural abilities to solve the problem. And so when Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come, something shifted. There was a change in relationship between Jesus and his mother, Mary. There was a shift in authority. Mary realized that Jesus had transited from being her son to being God's son, the son of God. Jesus was not to be manipulated by man. Jesus is in control now and Mary recognized it. That's why she said to the servants, 
Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Now, if this problem was presented to me, I'll just grab my phone and I'll call Grab Delivery to send over 76 crates of wine. And like most Singaporeans, I can accumulate some Grab points as well. But of course, Jesus didn't do it. Now, let's look at what did he do. I want to highlight four spiritual truths in the next five verses for us to consider. The first spiritual truth is that God can use anything. Starting with verse 6, let's read. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons each. The first spiritual truth is God can use anything. Of all the vessels in the banquet hall, God could have used anything. Jesus could have recycled and reused the containers used to contain the previous batch of wine. But instead, he chose six stone water pots found nearby. Now, six is the number of men, for man was made on the sixth day. In other words, God has chosen you and I for the assignments that He has purposed for us. So when God chose you, it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't a coincidence because God doesn't do random. And our response to Him shouldn't be, why me? But help me to do the assignments that you have assigned for me because God knows what He's doing in your life right now. Amen? Now, there's another reason Jesus chose the water pots. Because according to the Jewish law, whenever you have a meal together, you should wash your hands, the cups, the utensils, and the vessels with water before meals so that you are ceremonially, ceremonially clean. So the water pots are used for that symbolic ceremonial washing for the purification rites under the Jewish law. When Jesus turned water from this water pot, men for the purification of the Jews into wine, as his first miracle, as his first sign, he was moving from law to grace. He was taking what was the purification rites of the Jews under the law and made it as a gift of God's grace for all men under the new covenant. Amen. Let's give God praise for this. Let's thank the Lord for His amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And then now we, the story gets more exciting because now we shift our focus from the six water pots to the servants who were the lowest and the least in that wedding. And this part is my favorite in this whole story. The second truth is God can use anyone who is available. We read in verses seven and eight, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they fill them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. I can imagine the instruction from Mary still ringing in the heads of the servants. Whatever he says to you, do it. And true enough, Jesus made a very interesting request. Fill these water pots with water. I like to imagine that these two poor servants was probably arrowed or volunteered because they arrived, they came late, they reported late for the, for the wedding banquet, and they were asked to do this job. I'm quite sure they were made a laughing stock by the other servant friends they have. Perhaps some of you are able to identify with that, with these servants, that you were caught in a similar situation or you feel that you're being cornered into doing something that you don't like. Or like the servants in this story, you're the lowest and the least in the whole packing order wherever you are, and hence all you can say are these two words, no choice. No choice. You can either see this situation as a no choice or see it as a divine setup by God 
an invitation to be part of something far greater and far more glorious than you can ever think of or imagine. So when the instruction came to the servants, fill the water pots with water, I can imagine the servants thinking in their heads, excuse me, Jesus, we ran out of wine, not water. Why are you asking us to fill the water pots with water? But they fill it anyway. How do we know they fill them up? Because someone took note of that. God took note of that. God noticed what they did even though they were the lowest and the least, the insignificant people amongst all the VIPs present that day. What else did God notice? He noticed the water level of the water pots as well. The Bible says that they filled them up to the brim. No detail was left out when it comes to God. God noticed their attitude. When you do things for the Lord, do you do just enough? Or do you give your best and fill it up to the brim? You may think, what difference does my little prayer make, you know? Or by saying grace, how come it's me again that I'm saying grace? You know, all the little mundane things. But when you realize this, you realize this, that to God, there are no menial tasks. There are only menial attitudes. There are no menial tasks to God. He noticed the lowest, the least, the most insignificant of the servants just doing something. Then Jesus said, take it to the master of the feast. Now everybody will see this crazy thing they're about to do. Scoop the water meant for washing of hands and then take it to the master of the feast hoping that he'll taste wine. Let's pause here for a while and ask ourselves this. If you were in the servant's shoes, would you do it if Jesus asked you to? It's a good question to think about it. But again, the Bible recorded that God recorded down and said they took it to the master of the feast. Their act of obedience gave them the privilege to be mentioned in the Bible and recorded for all eternity. I can imagine the hall, the heaven's hall of fame, it, it reads like this. By faith, the servants carried the water to the master of the feast and it became wine. The third spiritual truth is found in verse 9, and we read, When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had uh, drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. I want to look at two key words here, acceleration and abundance. The God of acceleration and the God of abundance. The entire process of winemaking takes about four to six years. I, I don't drink, but I, I kind of search it out. From the seed form to the flowering to the bearing of fruit, and then they are harvested and made into wine. By turning water into wine in an instant, Jesus accelerated the process of transforming what is natural into something supernatural. God controls time. He is the master of time. He can slow things down like what he did for Joshua in Joshua chapter 10 when the sun stood still, or he can speed things up like what we're seeing in this story. I believe God wants to do a work of acceleration in your life right now. I pray, you know, for my family's salvation. I shared in another story uh, for 35 years and God did it in 35 days. During the time when my dad passed on, my family was safe in that 35 days period. So I want to encourage all of us here, don't give up. Keep believing, keep praying, and keep trusting God. He will come true for you. God will turn the water that you have into the wine that is needed. Amen? 
But that's not all. Jesus didn't just accelerate the process of nature. I found out that he defied nature as well because he made wine without grapes. Think about it. He's not just accelerated the process of nature, he defied nature by making wine without using grapes. I see this as a miracle within a miracle. It's a double miracle. God said in Jeremiah 32, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And Jesus added on in Matthew chapter 19, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. What is it in your life right now that is difficult or too difficult, that is so difficult that it seems there's no way out because God wants to be in it? He is the God of all possibilities. Amen? The second point is this, in, in this third truth, is the abundance of provision. Now, we know that Jesus made a lot of wine. I did a quick, simple calculation. One gallon is about 3.8 liters. That will give you about five bottles of wine each containing 750 milliliters, right? So we have six water pots of 30 gallons. That, that will give you about 180 gallons. That's about 640 liters, or that will give you 912 bottles of wine. Now, it is estimated that with this amount of wine that Jesus made, if each guest were to have two glasses, you can cater for up to 2,500 guests at the wedding feast. Now, as a point of reference, Queen Elizabeth, in her royal wedding, only had 2,000 guests. So you have enough wine for a royal wedding. Just put it out there. The point is, is that when God supplies, he, he supplies in full sufficiency. Therefore, don't be calculative with God. Amen? You know, uh, I'll just put it there. Someone asked me, Pastor, should I tithe my gross income or my net income? You know, I just replied, if you want to have gross blessings or net blessings, you know, after the Lord has paid off all the, the, the fees to the angels for rescuing you, this and that, you get, my, you get my point. Don't be calculative with God because God is generous and so must be His people. Amen? Now, we want to answer two questions here. Now we have the miracle that was made, water turned into wine. The question is this, so what is the sign? The first, there are two questions we want to answer. The first question is this, why Jesus chose a wedding setting to perform his first miracle? Of all the settings, why a wedding? I, so I want to suggest two points here. One is that because Jesus is coming back as the bridegroom for his bride, the church. He's going to go to the cross and die, but he'll be resurrected by the power of God. And he's coming back as a divine bridegroom for his bride, the church. And that is us, you and me. And in the meantime, we have to get ourselves ready for His return because He's coming back for a bride that's without spot and without wrinkle. Now, God loves wedding and that's why weddings are special to Him. And Jesus put His endorsement on marriage by attending this wedding at Cana of Galilee. And that's also why Satan is using divorce as an attempt to hit back at God by destroying the institution of marriage. I want to encourage all of us, those of us who are married, to guard our marriages. Amen? Because this is so important to the Lord. The second point is this, that the, the bridegroom, it is the bridegroom's responsibility to provide wine at the wedding. Traditionally, it is the bridegroom's responsibility to provide wine at his wedding banquet for all his guests. Prophetically, Jesus took the role and responsibility of the bridegroom and provided wine for this wedding at Cana. He took an ordinary wedding and made it into an extraordinary one 
as a prophetic sign that at his own wedding at the end of the church age, that we will have an abundance of provision that is to come. Amen. Now, second question, then why this gift of wine? Of all the miracles that Jesus could perform as his first miracle, first sign, healing the sick, raising the dead, or walking on water, but why turn water into wine as the first miracle? Because if you go back to the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah 25, you will see that the gift of wine in great quantities and with great quality is a sign that the messianic kingdom of God has arrived. By turning water into wine, Jesus was heralding, he was making an announcement that the kingdom of God has arrived for the people. And that's how the significance of this prophetic sign means to us. The other two points of the wine, why wine is that because wine is a sign of God's blessing, spiritually speaking, and a symbol of joy, and God wants us to be full of joy. Therefore, running out of wine is a picture of how the joy of this world runs out and fades away, but only the joy that God provides will never run out. And of course, the second point was that wine represents the new covenant in His blood. Jesus was foreshadowing His death on the cross, the shedding of His blood at the cross for our redemption and atonement. And so in, when we partake Holy Communion, the wine represents His blood, the blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. I want to come to the fourth spiritual truth. and I want to read verses 10 and 11 for us. A host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best wine until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed His glory and His, and his disciples believe in Him. Now we talk about turning water into wine, but it takes another 10 years, 20 years, and many more years of, of the fermentation process for young wine to become vintage wine or the best wine. The master of the feast tasted the wine Jesus made and immediately went to the bridegroom and said, I don't understand. Usually at the wedding, they give the best wines first so that the guests will be impressed. And when they had drank their fill, then the inferior wines come out. But you have done the reverse. Now then you give the best wine. Now listen, when God provides, He always provides the best. And this is the fourth spiritual truth I want to share with you, that God always provides the best. But there is a challenge. Normally what is good is seldom fast. Now, I love a good plate of uh, cha tiao or fried kway tiao. I heard there's a good one just across the road here. You know, and the really good ones are cooked one plate at a time. It is not efficient, the queue is long, but it's the best. And that's why we always say it is worth the wait. But not in this story, because Jesus turned water into wine almost instantaneously. That's acceleration. He made lots of wine, 180 gallons of it. That's abundance. And then the wine he made was voted the best of the best wine by the wine experts. That's quality. When God does things, it is not only fast and in great abundance, but also it is of the highest quality all at the same time. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. 
Is there anything that you're going through that's too difficult for God that He cannot accelerate the process, He cannot defy nature and give you the best of the best quality there is installed? This is the God that you and I serve. This is the God that if you have not known Him, you need to know Him because this is who He is. He is a good God and a good Father. You know, it is significant that Jesus, the bridegroom, had kept the good wine until the end because He wants to bring forth a very important spiritual truth. Because the other symbolic, uh, wine is also symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, we are not just talking about a trickle of pouring or trickle of the Holy Spirit, but a pouring till the overflowing of God's Spirit and power upon all of us in these last days. And God has reserved His best for the last day church. There will be a great outpouring of the Spirit, uh, even greater than the outpouring of the day of Pentecost. In addition to that, there'll be of the highest quality of Christians. That's also you. That means you and I. So we need to get ourselves ready for what is to come. So therefore, let us look forward with expectant hearts to the greatest revival of all time. And God's joy will be experienced in the last days like never before. Amen. Now, I want to go back to the six water pots that we, we left behind and come back to that. Because I noticed something. One moment you are carrying water which people use for ceremonial washing. The next moment when Jesus showed up in your life, you became the most treasured water pot in town. I can imagine people handling you very carefully because of what's inside. Your value goes up because of what you're carrying. When you have Jesus in you, your value goes up. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. We need to be filled afresh with God's Spirit. We need to be filled afresh with the living Word of God in our hearts all the time. Amen? So we need God in our lives. So now we have the signs of Jesus' death. We have His resurrection. We have a glorious wedding to look forward to. And we see a transition from the old covenant to a new covenant. We move from the promise of a messianic kingdom to the arrival of a messianic kingdom in this story we move from a lack of wine to an abundance of provision. And when God gives, He always gives what is best for you. The question is this, are we giving our best to Him? Every time when you give your best to the Lord at work, in school, at home, in the community, or wherever you're serving, in all that you say and you do, He gets the glory and He is glorified. I want to close with this story about Jimmy Carter who was the former president of the United States. When he was elected president of the United States, he wrote a book to define his presidency. And in the book, he told of a story of his interview with Admiral Hyman Rickover. Jimmy Carter graduated from the Naval Academy and for his next posting, he had this interview with the Admiral and the Admiral asked him several questions. And one of the questions was this, how did you graduate from the academy? In other words, how was your standing? Where did you rank? And Jimmy, was, Jimmy Carter was very happy for this question because he did very well. So he reported, Sir, I graduated 59 out of, out of a cohort of 820 cadets. That's top 10% in the US Naval Academy, which is the best of the best. If you graduated top 10 from this academy, you are actually the best of the best. And so he was very happy with his answer. Then Admiral Rickover asked him the next question. Son, have you done your best? Jimmy Carter said, I wanted to reply to him, yes, sir, I've done my best. But then I recognized that this was no ordinary admiral. 
This was Admiral Rick Over. He is known for being a no-nonsense guy. He can see through you if you're bluffing him. And so he said in honesty, Sir, I try to do my best. I want to do my best, but I have not always done my best. And then he said, the Admiral looked at him, paused for a moment with eyes that pierced through his soul and asked him a defining question that shaped his life. And his question was, Son, why not the best? And so Jimmy Carter wrote this book entitled, Why Not the Best? We have a God who gives us in full total sufficiency in His time with His best and by His grace. Why not the best unto our God? He deserves it all. He is worthy of it all. Do you give God just enough? Are you calculative with God? Or are you giving your very best to Him? just listen to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.